Welcome to Decision Vision, a podcast series focusing on critical business decisions. Brought to you by Brady Ware and Company. Brady Ware is a regional, full-service accounting and advisory firm that helps businesses and entrepreneurs make visions a reality. Welcome to Decision Vision, a podcast giving you, the listener, clear vision to make great decisions. In each episode, we discuss the process of decision-making on a different topic from the business owner's or executive's perspective. We aren't necessarily telling you what to do, but we can put you in a position to make an informed decision on your own and understand when you might need help along the way. My name is Mike Blake, and I'm your host for today's program. I'm a director at Brady Ware & Company, a full-service accounting firm based in Dayton, Ohio, with offices in Dayton, Columbus, Ohio, Richmond, Indiana, and Alpharetta, Georgia. Brady Ware is sponsoring this podcast, which is being recorded in Atlanta for social distancing protocols. If you like this podcast, please subscribe on your favorite podcast aggregator, and please consider leaving a review of the podcast as well. So the topic today is, should I pivot my business? And, you know, in one sense, you might look at this topic and think, well, doesn't everybody pivot my business, right? Our, our producer, John, and I were talking a little bit before we started the program. And, well, doesn't everybody's business pivot? Because there's, there's, there's really not many, there are not many businesses that are static throughout their, their existence, right? Maybe if you're an elect, electrical utility, maybe if you're in some kinds of real estate, maybe if you're in some kinds of, of uh, mineral industries, maybe that's true. But, you know, for the most part, you know, most businesses do find themselves in what they would think is a pivot every day. But I'm I'm not talking about that. I'm putting my startup hat back on today. And I don't I don't put it on often because I, I want this show to be more of a more of a generalized business show and not just focused on startups. But this is something that I think is is more applicable to startups. And in the coronavirus environment, I think that this topic should be at least thought about or on, on the, the radar screen of even established companies. And so what I mean by a pivot, um, to not put too fine a point on it, is you're in one business one day, and then the next day you more or less, real, you come to the realization that the business you're in is no good. And it's it's most likely no good because the need that you thought was in the market just isn't there, or at least not in a manner that you can effectively address it. Or if you're in coronavirus, if you're in the coronavirus um, timeframe, um, your business February 1 looked great. And then by June, your business doesn't look great, right? If you're a restaurant and may, you know, I know restaurants that basically said, we will never do takeout. Right. Well, that that restaurant did one of two things. They either cha- they either pivoted to takeout, or they weren't a restaurant anymore unless they had a big pile of cash they're sitting on. Um, you know, hotels are are pivoting. They're renting out their rooms now, not to people who are traveling, but they're renting them out to people like me who are working from home, and then come to the realization that they if they stay at home one more day, they're going to get either fired. Or they're gonna um, they're gonna go crazy because of their family, and and people are sort of taking these refuges, and that's what hotels are catering to. So even in a conventional industry, you know, companies are are are, are pivoting for sure. I would even argue 
um, you know, Apple computer back in 2007 pivoted from being a computer company to a mobile device and software and media service and sales company. They started that pivot and now they're well along the road. General Motors is very much pivoting towards becoming an electric vehicle company because they see the, the handwriting on the wall, like it or not, um, uh, gas-powered cars are going away sometime in our lifetimes. At least new ones will be. And the list goes on and on. Well, if you're in a startup, pivot it, the, 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 the net necessity to pivot, at least the potential, is a way of life. And some startups have to pivot multiple times, and we'll talk about that. But what you find is nobody really talks about pivoting because pivoting is not really sexy. Um, pivoting is necessary. It's often ugly. It's, it's a survival mode. And you find out who your friends really are in the pivot. And then after you successfully emerge from the pivot, everybody's your friend again. Everybody wants to interview you again. And you're the darling of the startup world. So it's, it's a topic I really want to sink my teeth into. And, you know, it's hard to find a guest that wants to talk about a pivot because it, it is tough. Um, you have had to admit a setback to your business. And so it takes somebody that, that has a willingness to be vulnerable, that has a lot of emotional intelligence, um, uh, that is willing to come on and publicly talk about the pivot. And fortunately, we found somebody great who's going to talk about that with us. And, and that person is Brandon Cooper, who is joining us from California, and he is the CEO of AFID. AFID is a financial technology company and ecosystem disrupting the nine-to-five workforce using artificial intelligence and blockchain technology. And they're preventing the, what's called the singularity, meaning that robots take human jobs and robots basically think independently and, be, and become sentient um, uh, sentient artificial life, life forms. Um, from Detroit, Michigan, Brandon is a serial entrepreneur and inventor. He's an expert in blockchain and machine learning, has over 15 years of experience in information technology and graphic design, and over six years in client support. He specializes in machine learning and blockchain technology. Brandon's been featured on Steve, NBC, MTV, Fox, and more. He holds a degree from Michigan State University in marketing and merchandising management. Brandon Cooper, thanks for coming on the program. Thank you for having me. Glad to be here, Mike. So, Brandon, did I get it right when I described what a pivot is? Do you think I got that description right? Is there something you want to add or change? No, that's you hit the nail right on the head. That's exactly what it is. Um, basically, looking at what your business is and deciding to take a turn down a different street. So let's go to let's go to pre-pivot days. You know, how, how long ago did you? How long ago did you do your pivot? So yeah, I'll I'll completely unveil everything, and these are things that I don't talk about. But uh, as you know, black people don't like to talk about pivot. As you said, it isn't sexy. Um, but we had the company a, a long time ago. This is when I was just really just trying to conceptualize something. Um, it was aphid bite and we were trying to prevent piracy protection. So we would put these Easter egg hidden, um, encryption into music songs and also into uh, video files. So when people were streaming it midway, it would cut them off and say, Hey, go to iTunes. Hey, go you know, go to whatever outlet it is to actually buy it, right? And when these big companies were going to pay us money, we just flood the internet with all of these. So they say, oh, man, I'm tired of running into these aphids. 
And then I said, uh, man, yeah, well, that's a great business for, you know, large enterprises and movie companies like Universal and Warner Brothers, but people are going to hate us. So that was short lived. And um, we dropped that. And then uh, and I saw that streaming was coming into into effect. I knew that Spotify was going to change that. Um, that's what they Sean Parker originally wanted to do with Napster anyway, um, but just didn't know how to formulate him and Sean Fanning. But uh, I saw the streaming was coming, so I knew that there was no business there. So I, I really just shelved the company and didn't do anything with Aethid Byte anymore at the time. And um, in the midst of the time, I did different ventures, just trying to find my way, you know, just looking for different projects to try to work on them. And I'm naturally an inventor. Um, I worked on a project called Proximity that basically can show anyone in a room nearby and you can get all their information with one button as long as they allow it to be uh, seen. So it destroys business cards. Uh, so different projects like that I worked on. And then um, and then I resurrected AFIT Byte in about 2017, 2018. We were looking at the creative economy, seeing uh, there are a lot of uh, media people who uh, aren't making much money in the industry. Uh, these companies take a lot, big chunk out of the record companies take a lot of money. So just looking how to use blockchain technology and things like that with AFIT Byte. Uh, so we made two pivots. Um, and as you've mentioned now, we've uh, changed everything over to AI. And that's the final pivot. This is what we are. We just I wanted to make sure when we went to market that we established our, our, our identity with automation and artificial intelligence. So I pulled back on the marketing and made a tough decision. There are people in the company at that time who um, didn't really like the pivot and they wanted to kind of stick with what we had. And I made a decision and People left the company and they're great people. I'm sure that they didn't leave because they didn't believe in the pivot. They probably just got ex- a little exhausted uh, on the change, but I did what was best for the company. So now uh, we have AFIT. Uh, no bite, just AFIT. So I want to talk a little bit about the times leading up to those pivots, either one or both, however you want to answer this. But uh, I imagine, you tell me if I'm wrong, but I imagine that there was some sort of struggle, if you will, for lack of a better term, to kind of make that business work, right? That you, you must have thought, I would imagine you would have thought that if you tweak X and Y or change A and B a little bit, then the, the core business is still potentially viable. So if that's true, what what were the kinds of things that you tried and I guess ultimately didn't work that then led you to the conclusion that, you know, that business just was not going to be viable. Uh, for the initial business premise, streaming was coming into, into effect. So I knew that it was going to be dead in the water where piracy is not going to matter as long as people are paying $10 a month to use Apple music and uh, title or whatever they use. Uh, so that's when I knew that business model was dead in the water. And then in terms of the creative economy, it definitely works. It's just more expensive. So just leading into that, it's great to have it as a feature in the future, as a future phase. But um, having that as a business is very expensive. Music industry, uh, streaming, data. I mean, SoundCloud is still trying to raise money just to stay profitable. They might make $100 million, but their expenses are $100 million because they've ultimately become the YouTube of audio. Um, so things like that, that I, I did a lot of R&D on and um, realized that artificial intelligence was the future anyway. So um, that's when I knew. So 
I think it's really interesting that you saw, it sounds like that you saw as soon as streaming came on, came on the scene, that things like iPods were just not going to matter anymore. Things like stored music were not going to matter anymore. That, that everything is just going to go online to this virtualized streaming model where there's not even a transfer of ownership of media anymore for the most part. It's really just, you know, everybody rents stuff, which, which is interesting. What, what, what was it? I think, frankly, that's extraordinary because a lot of founders would have, would have denied it, right? They would have, they would have gone through sort of the, the, the stages of grief and they would have hung on to denial and said, no, streaming is not going to be all that. Maybe it'll have a role, role alongside it, right? Netflix was doing streaming and DVDs yeah. in parallel for a long time. Um, you know, there's still going to be a role. We can still make a go of it. What was it that you saw, or is it something about you and your makeup that you said, no, there's no reason fooling with it. Let's, let's just look at this with, with ice cold clarity, call it, call it for what it is and, and get out in front of it before we get run over by it. And it's a tough decision to make because of all the work that's put into it. Uh, all the nights that I stayed up. Um, I mean, ultimately, you know, at least a year and a half, two years into it, uh, work. And just to say everything that's been done, just throw it in the trash or just throw it on a shelf for later or someone else, right? Um, a lot of founders cannot make that decision because of pride issues, because of the amount that they put in, opposed to just making the right decision was best for the team members and the company. Um, so I saw that piece. I didn't, I, I, I definitely don't want to get in my own way. A lot of founders can get in their own way, get in their own head and uh, get emotional. And there's no room for emotion in business unless, uh, you know, you're like your Steve Jobs putting the spirit into the company and everything. But, you know, you can't you can't be too emotional on something that doesn't make business sense. It doesn't make sense to um, be the SoundCloud in the SoundCloud predicament. Uh, We're not profitable. Right. Now. When when you'd had either of those those two incarnations of your company, had you taken outside money for them? Yes, very small, uh, very very minute, uh, small a thousand. So no big uh, angel or venture money, just really really small. And most of that was just for um, you know like legal type of information, just structuring LLC things like that. And do you think that made the pivot easier because you didn't? Or maybe maybe I'm assuming something. I mean, but did that make the pivot easier that you didn't have large institutional capital in it? Or did you still have to say a lot of uncomfortable conversations where you're basically calling time of death on the investment and saying, look, you know, this is what's happening. I don't know what's going to happen next. Uh, you may or may not get your money back. Was that how hard? How hard was that? It's a lot easier when it, it's not big money and. Yeah, you know who the investor is. If, if it's VC level, they try to control a lot of it. Um, I'm, a, I'm a bigger fan of angel investment um, because of that reason. Unless you have a really, really good VC, but um, yes, it definitely made it a lot easier to make a pivot. And um, w- one of the investors understood the pivot and was supportive of it, and because of the results. They feel better about the pivot even now because there was no worry in their mind. They, they trust me as a leader and make the best decision. 
And um, because of the results that we've merited, uh, they're happy that that has occurred. So, um, you know, if there's no results, then, of course, there's blame. You made it. You made a bad decision. Uh, you know, that's all people care about is results. So, um, you know, if they, if they, they put money in behind me or into the company. Then I have to make the best decision for their money and not get emotional myself. You brought something up a couple of times that, and I think it's worth kind of spending a beat on, and that is, you know, the emotions of pivoting, and and you know, being able to being able to look at a company almost like an assassin, if you will, that you know, whatever you spent to date, you can't you can't get it back; it's gone. And the only thing you can change is from this moment on, what is the future going to look like? And I guess, you know, how do I take whatever resources I have left and then redirect them towards something that, that has a chance of being successful? But, but boy, that's so hard when you, you know, especially with that first venture, because you really think you're onto something, you're getting traction mm-hmm. and then boom, the market just changes. In, in that case, there was no bad decision there. It was just bad luck that right. that somebody came out with streaming, um, and that wasn't necessarily visible. That wasn't necessarily visible. At the time. That that emotional mindset to be able to to cut the loss and be decisive and absorb the the uncomfortable conversations of nothing else with your employees. Mm-hmm. That that is such an important leadership quality in order to execute a pivot and do it in time to actually save the company. Yeah, it's. I, I talk about that emotional piece. If you think in terms of relationships, how many people do we know that are in mediocre relationships, but they stay in them be, just because they've been dating them for so long, but it's no longer serving them, right? Uh, yeah. we, we've been together. I've known them since high school, or uh, you know, we're eight years in, and all the time that we put in, but it's no longer serving them. Or even a close friend who isn't supportive of your business, or they're um, they want to see you do good, but not better than them, but they've been your friends your whole life and you keep them in your circle, even though you know they're toxic and they're cancers to your vibration and your energy. Uh, so if you think in terms of that, uh, that should be applied to business too. Uh, and, and especially when you have people believe in you and the team and investors. Um, and, and also uh, an added point for me is with, with AFIT, we didn't actually go live. So that did make the pivot easier as well. These were things that we were just working on. Uh, it's one thing to launch as McDonald's and then say, hey, we're selling tacos. Uh, that's not going to work. It doesn't matter what McDonald's tries to do. If they start delivering pizzas, uh, I mean, they're, they're not going to have much success. It'll probably, you know, tank. <laughs> IHOP did something right. like that. Where they changed, They did a joke or whatever, and they called it uh, Inter- International House of Burgers. And oh, yeah, I remember that. Crazy on Twitter about it because they've set an identity. So I, I, that was a key piece in my decision of looking at what is your identity once you get out here and really start getting the mass press, what is going to be your identity when they see the AFIT? Is it going to be automation or is it going to be this over here? And uh, luckily we were able to pivot before we actually got out here, quote unquote. You know, you said something there again, I want to, I want to latch on to because it, it is so true that a failing business itself can be very toxic. Um, I've been in a failing business before and it was, it was so toxic, you know, and, and so demoralizing on so many levels 
um, that, you know, the, the business itself almost can almost become a bully. <laughs> and if you, if uh, being able to pivot, this is really interesting. I'm, I'm learning something really interesting is, is that being able to pivot is so much dependent on an emotional state of mind that I'd be willing to bet you that every reason you think of not to pivot is probably really just an emotional facet to yourself trying to put up a barrier to making the hard decision. Yeah. No question. It's a, it's it, because of the, it's the work that you've put into it. If you, if you build a house halfway up, no one wants to knock it down and start from the first brick again. And uh, they would rather just continue to build a mediocre house and then get mediocre results. But that's never been me. I'd rather knock it down and start from scratch if that's what it takes. When you when you decide to pivot, either either one or both times, can you talk about what what were you able to salvage from the previous businesses or reuse from the previous businesses to help to help the next incarnation of the business be more successful? And that may be it could be anything. It could be physical assets. Could be lesson learned. Could be labor skills that you could transfer over. Whatever it is. But what were you able to salvage from the first incarnation to try to try to make the likelihood of the next incarnation be more successful that much more likely? It's definitely putting time into people and understanding delegation. Hmm. I think for in, in terms of order of importance, it's the idea itself. Uh, how scalable is it? Is this something that's going to be here five years, 10 years, 20 years? Um, and I try to do my best to anticipate the next 15 to 20 years, uh, you know, General Electric is here for how long, right? Ford has been here for how long? And even yeah. though they've made strides in there, but they've created businesses that don't necessarily shift based upon fads or a flip of a switch um, that can change things. Uh, so that was important for me to say, okay, well, ideas first. And then the next one of things that I've salvaged and I've learned to answer your question is uh, bringing in people that had the strengths that I didn't have. So whatever my weaknesses were, I brought them in and got out of their way. With, with this current team with AFIT, there are people on the team who have domain expertise in their particular department. I tell everyone on our team, you're the CEO of your own position. I don't micromanage them. They go in and you know they handle their own thing on their own on autopilot. And the previous team, there were people in the team. There was a lot of retention. People were, I, I was managing people. I was, uh, in, in terms of babysitting, not just general managing, but babysitting them. And if I have to tell you to do something, then it's taking away time for me and it's stressing me out. So um, I learned that to have people on your team that don't require you at every waking hour is a very, if not the most vital thing to the success of a company. Um, because Steve Jobs and all these people got a lot of credit, but there are so many people on the back end that help help these people. Even in sports, everyone gives praise to Aaron Rodgers and these kind of players in the NFL, but they have ball boys, coaches, um, you know, nutritionists. These are all people who make LeBron James who he is and, and Tom Brady who he is, right? Um, it is no different in business, whether that be a performance coach or your, your colleagues. Uh, I learn from my team, even though they – you know, work with me and look up to me. It, it works both ways. So 
in, in your mind, I mean, we, we've talked about pivoting. Now, at any point, an option could have been to simply shut down and build something entirely new. Um, you know, did that thought ever occur to you? And if so, why did you choose to go the way that you did as opposed to just blowing everything up, shutting it down and starting entirely new? What occurred, it really was something universal and divine, to be honest with you, because an aphid is an insect that can clone itself. As I mentioned, the original premise was to just flood the Internet full of these these uh, encrypted files, right? Yep. And then it would just reproduce at a really high rate. But just so happened that when I was thinking about artificial intelligence and the reason for creating aphid was because I was so tired of working for the company I was working for, I said, man, I wish I could just clone myself. I'm so exhausted. I was stressed out. I had a therapist. Um, I took a lot of leave of absences just because, and I worked from home and uh, I was in my pajamas and I, I still just, it wasn't for me. I just felt there was something pulling me, some energy field pulling me. And because I said, I wish I could just clone myself I looked at aphid bite at the time and I said, man, how can I have artificial intelligence work for me? And I looked at it and I saw aphid bite and I said, let's just drop the bite and make it aphid. Like there's apple. Let's just do aphid. And it ended up working. Otherwise it would have just been a different company name, but it, it, it fits so perfectly in divine that I kept the name. So, Talk about your thought process, how, how you came across the current incarnation, artificial intelligence, and, and maybe tell the audience, too, because I did a very high level and probably bad job of describing the company. You know, what, what's AFID doing now and how have you how did you come across that idea that, that that's where you're going to put the new direction? Yeah, uh, so I was looking to see how can something be at work for me and make money for me? And I don't have to be there where I can spend more time with my family mm. typically go to work and we get a paycheck every two weeks or some people get paid every week, but typically it's biweekly. Right. Um, so I said, well, how can we make this go from horse and buggy to the electric car overnight? And that's basically creating a digital version of ourselves. So what we've created is a mechanism that allows people to earn from the efforts of bots. And what that means is we create a, a network of chatbot solutions for websites. And we basically take the digital version of yourself mm -hmm. and put them on those sites as sales agents. And when it makes sales, you get a commission. So now the Michael bot or the John bot goes onto those websites. If it sells an iPad or a refrigerator, you as the controller of your bot, we call a clones, you get a commission. So now you're in this, your sleep, you wake up, the Michael bot has sold five items you've installed a plug-in for the Michaelbot to trade artificial intelligence, stock trading, or cryptocurrency trading. You can install those plugins to your bot. You can train it up to sell different things to people who want to license out your decision trees in terms of the artificial intelligence mechanism and our, uh, our IDE, which is our development system environment. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's creating time leverage, right? Time is our biggest asset. And, uh, we're losing it every day. If you were to go into a job and you started a job at 20 or tw let's just say 23 out of college and you're working at Pfizer or whoever, just pick any company name. And they said, all right, well, here's your 40 year plan. 
and then they put how many hours you're going to work and they count it down. It said, here's your 63,000 hours that you have to work. Welcome to the company. You saw that on the wall every day. You would lose your brain looking up, seeing 61,000. It would feel like you're in prison. But we don't look at it that way because the time is diced up and it's hidden under the table. But I know that. We know that it doesn't work because we see the older people at Walmart don't disrespect that. Uh, you know, greeting people and everything. They say they're tired, but the truth is they ran out of money uh, because the system is technically a joke. So we're preventing this singularity saying, hey, don't be afraid about robots taking your jobs. A robot taking our job is the only way we're going to be able to spend more time with our family. We just need to peg those machines to a human. And when they work, you get paid. So we're going to start off on the internet with the chatbots and the digital agents. And then we're eventually going to go into IoT and smart cities. So um, what's been the timeline to this whole thing? How long has it taken you to get from starting AFID Byte to this current in- incarnation of AFID? Uh, we've done this in about a year and a half. But okay. It looks, so, it looks like about on, on paper and everything that we've accomplished, it looks like about five years of work. We have a large team. We're, uh, since the pivot, we're now at almost 30 people in the company without funding. So so without funding. So just as an aside, I'm curious, how, how is that happening? Do you have your own funds to kind of bankroll this thing? Or are you generating revenue now that's able to support it? Or how, how is that working? It's all bootstrapped. And uh, we're working on our pilots now. So everyone that's in the company, believe it or not, has joined the company. They're equity holders and then they're contracted people out as well. Um, but they all believe in a project and glad to be on board. Um, so I can't really explain to you uh, how this many crazies have, have believed in the vision, but they see it and want to be a part of it and have a piece of that pie. Um, yeah. I have a feeling we may be coming back to ask you for another podcast because what you're describing sounds remarkable. That's a, that, that's a major accomplishment in and of itself. Um, how how quickly have you seen validation in your decision to pivot? I think it, it only took, I would say, roughly about eight months is what it took to for everything to really. Because we had to formulate the technology behind it, how it's, how it's feasible economically, the tokenomics and the, the cryptocurrency, or the digital asset that we're creating. Uh, it takes a lot of work, so I would definitely say at least eight months. And when you when you started this thing, you were originally in Atlanta. That's how we know each other. And you moved out to California. What, was the move part of that that pivot process? Yeah, a big part of the move was I felt like I exercised as much as I could for raising funds and the opportunity of what's going to be best for the company. Silicon Valley is great, but I didn't want to go there. I wanted a little bit of the nightlife too, just in between. So I came yeah. to LA, LA second and second to third in terms of raising funds for technology with a kind of back and forth between uh, here in Austin, Texas, yep. uh, behind Silicon Valley. Uh, so I saw that and then said, all right, well, that's a better opportunity for us. I think I'll, the, the innovation in Atlanta is really stifled because there are people 
who don't invest into real innovation. They, they play it safe into me too companies, nice B2B companies and things like that, but there's no real innovation that, uh, and, and I love Atlanta. It's no disrespect to Atlanta and everything that Atlanta did for me, but, um, the resources just weren't there. And I, I honestly felt, uh, my presence wasn't felt in Atlanta in terms of what I was doing with proximity and things like that. Uh, so, you know, the pivot towards AI was, was made once I came to, uh, California. Now, along the way, were there, were there other people or resources that you would drew upon that made the pivots easier than they otherwise might've been? Were there advisors, were there sources of information, networks, anything like that, that you, that you kind of leaned on to help make this happen? Uh, not at all. It really was just the, the instinct in the gut. Uh, the advisors at the time wanted me to stay. Really? And, uh, yeah, they actually wanted me to stay and I went against it. Um, and I listened very well to the team and to the advisors, but I looked at the past. I just didn't want to recreate that past into our future. And um, I, I, I saw the, the desert and uh, I had to go to uncharted waters to see what was out there and see what's here. So we've made great connections. And since I've moved out here, the press is, is night and day. So um, what do you attribute, what do you attribute what appears to be a great calmness, at least externally anyway, where do you get this sort of calmness to, to pursue a pivot and the way you pursued your venture, the way that you have, frankly, without, without panicking? Because um, I think a lot of people in your position would panic. Where, where does that come from in your mind? Knowing that one day we're all going to die and everything, in my opinion, is just an illusion, uh, some type of a test to see how bad you want it. But even though the failures occur and things don't go your way, it's, it's just a test. It's a grand test. And um, I want to be here to make history and just choose any, a business model that's going to allow to, not from an egotistical point, but just as a company, as a, the camaraderie of uh, our culture and our, our company, um, it, that's the most important, you know? So a lot of businesses, a lot of businesses right now, I just have time for a couple more questions here. But one that I want to, I want to get to is a lot of businesses are, are pivoting in a certain extent, the way AFIDBite pivoted in that there's an external event that was not foreseeable that is just overnight rendering certain business models, not just obsolete, but in some cases physically dangerous. And and their businesses are very much in jeopardy. Um, regardless of industry, if somebody were to co- were to ask you, you know, Brandon, I've got, I've got this business, but I, I just don't think in the post COVID world it's going to be relevant anymore. What would you? What would be the first couple pieces of advice, or maybe the questions you'd ask him, either one or both, about you know helping them think through that pivot and giving it a chance to be successful. I would always say definitely get with change before change gets with you because at that point you become borders books. Uh, you become blockbuster. 
Um, so you have to, and if you don't know how to predict or try to forecast these changes in business or your industry, you probably don't know your industry and you have to look in the mirror and ask yourself, do you really know your industry? Um, or is this something that you just want to make some money and you want to make an exit and sell it off because you know, it's a fad. It's a, it's a snuggie, right? <laughs> um, or do, is this something that you want to pass down to your kids? And I think that's the first question to ask. And then for the people who don't know uh, how to forecast or what that looks like in the, in the near future or long-term future is to get a mentor, uh, someone who's seasoned and knows the business and you have mentors from afar. You can go on YouTube and see people, Gary V and these people who talk about, you have resources that are free. You don't have to go to a conference and pay $2,000 to get this information. We have the internet. Uh, For sure. You, just pull, you can piece it together and save yourself a lot of money um, and le- learn this information. But the wrong thing to do is to act as if you, you are a master of your business or you're not. If you're, uh, you have to be learning at all times and always be a student. If you're not a student at all times, then you're egotistical. And then when you're egotistical, the door is going to smack you right in the face uh, when you least expect it. Uh, you start smelling yourself. So that's really, really important. But that would be my advice to that person. Brandon, this has been a, a very helpful conversation. And I love I love how vulnerable you're willing to be. I love how raw you, you are here. Um, if, if there's a question we haven't covered that some one of our listeners would like to, to ask, can they contact you? And if so, what's the best way to do that? Certainly. Uh, the company's website is afit.io. That is A-P-H-I-D.io. And our social media is at afitfs. FS is for Free Society. That's our slogan, our model. Uh, A-P-H-I-D-F-S that's on Instagram and Twitter and as, as well as Facebook and then me personally is Brandon Cooper the O's in Cooper are zeros and that's on Instagram and Twitter I'm also on Facebook as well uh, yeah okay well thank you for that um, that's going to wrap it up for today's program I'd like to thank Brandon Cooper so much for joining us and sharing his expertise with us today We'll be exploring a new topic each week, so please tune in so that when you're faced with your next executive decision, you have clear vision when making it. If you enjoy these podcasts, please consider leaving a review with your favorite podcast aggregator. It helps people find us so that we can help them. Once again, this is Mike Blake, our sponsor is Bradyware & Company, and this has been the Decision Vision Podcast. 